Adam's Archive. Hello, you beautiful people, and welcome to the Adam's Archive. My name is Austin Adams, and thank you so much for listening today. On today's episode, we have a lot to catch up on. There's been some wild stuff that's happened over the last week and a half or two weeks since our previous episode, and I'll catch you up on all of it, at least all of it that I'm interested in. And the very first thing I'm interested in this week is going to be that there was a senator, Senator Mark Wayne Mullins, who actually challenged a Teamster boss to a fist fight on a Senate hearing of the Senate floor during a hearing. Um, and personally, I think this should probably happen more often as it did a long time ago. Uh, so we'll dive into what actually happened in that exchange, the bad blood between this senator and the Teamster boss, as well as diving into Mark Wayne Mullen's previous history, because this man was actually a MMA fighter. Uh, so probably not the guy that you would want to mess with if you were some fat, bold, uh, bald, old dude like this Teamster boss was. Uh, so uh, my money is on Senator Mullins. That's all I got to say. So we'll dive into that. We'll actually break down some of his MMA fights um, and dive deeper into the bad blood because it goes back months and months ago where this exchange originally happened that got brought to the Senate floor just a couple days ago. After we address that, we will also jump into the next topic, which is going to be that there is a overwhelming, well, and I guess, yeah, the, the, the next article after that, we'll have a few small, quick ones. First of all, apparently some people think that white people that are generated by AI look more real than photographs. Uh, so there was a, a basically this um, statistical study that showed that if people were generated, like if there was images generated by AI and they were white, according to white people, it was harder to decide who was real and who was AI, which is interesting. So we'll talk about that and how they tried to spin this into somehow AI's now racist, I guess. Hmm. Anyways, after that, we will dive into another article, which is all about uh, the majority of Americans taking notice in the rise of tipflation across industries. And it's all about when you go to every single place ever now, whether they give you service or not, or you're just paying for gas, it seems like everybody's asking you for a tip, asking you for a handout. I don't think that's how this works, and it drives me nuts, so we'll talk about that. After that, we will go into the police arresting the ex, uh, arresting the uh, hockey player. I believe this was in the ECHL, not the East Coast Hockey League, but the European League, I believe. We talked about it in our last podcast, but they actually arrested the guy who ended up having his skate hit the guy's throat and ended up in the death of Adam Johnson. So we will discuss that. And I still hold true to my thoughts on that. So uh, I, I don't believe that that was rightful for them to do so. Uh, there was a California team who was suspended from school for wearing uh, the black uh, paint on his face during a football game, which everybody all knows what I'm talking about right under your eyes, was suspended from school for wearing that because the principal says he was wearing blackface. Hmm. After that, we will dive into some of the conversation that was had between Elon Musk and Lex Friedman, including his thoughts on the Israel and Hamas war. 
leading us into a conversation about a poll that was done around people's support or lack thereof of what is happening by Israel. Then we'll jump into a discussion of uh, between Theo Vaughn and Dana White. So all of that and more. And at the very end, I have a little interesting tidbit about uh, the Interstellar movie that I thought was interesting. So let's jump into it. But first, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Leave a five-star review. I appreciate you being here from the bottom of my heart. I love, love, love doing this for you guys. And I don't ask for much. I don't even give you advertisements. <laughs> I'm making nothing off of this conversation right now other than the joy of knowing that you're about to hit that subscribe button. You're about to leave a five-star review. And... I'll even tell you a story about how I was chased down, harassed after being noticed by some liberal in a bar recently, last night to be exact, and we'll talk about that. So uh, all of that and more, hit the five-star review button, subscribe, that's all I got, and let's jump into it. The Adams Archive. All right. So the very first thing that we're going to talk about today is that there was a senator who challenged a Teamster boss to a fist fight on the Senate floor, only to be stopped by the one and only Bernie Sanders. Who would have thought that that man would be the voice of reason? But let's go ahead and watch this clip, and then I will give my opinion on what happened, because you probably know my stance. I think they should have fought it out. <laughs> but first for you here, here is the article. Let's go ahead, or the video actually. Let's go ahead and take a look and watch this clip together. Um, and here we go. So actually, I'll read you a little bit about the article because Bernie Sanders is going off here in the background. But it says that a Congress, a congressional hearing devolved into an angry confrontation between Senator and a witness on Tuesday after Republican Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma challenged Sean O'Brien, the president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, otherwise known as unionized mob boss, uh, to stand your butt up and settle ongoing differences right there in the room. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, the chairman of the Senate panel that was holding the hearing, yielded at Mullen to sit down as he challenged O'Brien to a fight. Mullen had stood up from his seat at, at the dais and appeared to start taking his ring off. Might be a good move to leave it on, actually. I'm, you know. Cut him up a little bit. This is the time, this is the place, Mullen told O'Brien. After reading a series of critical tweets O'Brien had sent out about him in the past, if you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults and we can finish it right here. And here is the video for you. It's quite different, but after you left here, you got pretty excited about the keyboard. In fact, you tweeted at me one, two, three, four, five times. And let me read what the last one said. Um, it said, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Sir, I wish you was in the truck with me when I was building my plumbing company myself and my wife was running the office because 
I sure remember working pretty hard and long hours. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Big oh, hold, stop it. Is that your Sorry. solution? Every poll. No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Active. Oh, okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Mr. Hold Sim. it. Hold it. If we can't, no, I have the mic. Said. I'm sorry. This is Hold what it. he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> this is a <laughs> the hearing. voice of reason. And God knows the American people have enough of contempt for Congress. Let's not I don't make like it worse. Thugs and you, you have, and you have I don't like you because you just described yourself. Yeah. Hold it. You have the mic. Yeah. You have time. All make right. Your statement. Then let's do this because I did challenge you and I accepted your challenge and you went quiet. No, I didn't go quiet. I was, no, I was, no, no, you challenged me to a cage match, no, 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 acting no, like a 12-year-old schoolyard hold bully. Excuse me, hold it. No, excuse me, I have the I mic. Will say, I will say exactly Senator what Mullen, I have the mic. You have questions on any economic issues, anything that said, go for it. We're not here to talk about physical abuse. You brought We're not talking about, of course and, I did. And let me, tell, let me show you his hearing, because I want to I expose this thug to who he is. And you're not pointing at me, that's disrespectful. All right. I don't care about respecting you at all. I, respect I don't respect you I respect. at all. So all right, hold me, it. Let me, let hold me. it. No. You're one of the the most hold elite it, people please. acted. Please. All right. This is a, excuse me. Mm -hmm. This is a hearing to discuss economic issues. All right. If you have questions for Mr. O'Brien or anybody else on what he has said, go for it. I mean, but we're not here to talk about fights or I'm, anything else. I'm quoting exactly what he said. You can and say what is, you want. This is, this, is your, this is your witness this you is brought. My witness. And let me, I'm, I'm exposing him. You can ex as talk anything you want. Right? So in 2013, nope. in 2013, O'Brien was suspended by the Teamsters for intimidating your own members. In 2014, hmm. uh, you were um, part of, what would you say, organizing the harassment and intimidation of the top shelf crew? Chef, not uh, chef. Oh, top, oh top, top chef, okay. And then, uh, and I think in the reports they said sexual racist and homophobic slurs and death threats, 14 tires were sliced and five teamsters were arrested and you said, well, I had nothing to do with it. But however, in that same statement you said, but if I get called to, to testify, I'll plead the fifth. This is, this is what, this is a witness you brought in here. In 2017, you were removed as lead negotiator by then-President Hoffa for UPS for your actions. And then in 22, when this guy was elected, what he said after he got elected was he wanted to bring the mob mentality back to the Teamsters. This is your guy. And you're he, obviously going to give him a he, chance to respond can, to your oh, questions. Absolutely, because absolutely, this is my question. Because you called me out. I didn't call you out. Yeah, you, did. you said any time, any place. That's, That's that, that. Let's get the record okay. straight. Miss, hold it. No. Hold on. Senator Mullen, do you have a question for the witness? Yeah. Okay, let's, let's hear it. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely hilarious that that's what just went on. But honestly, I like it. I think that, I think that we should probably have more fist fights in the Senate. Just like if you go back 
a hundred years, 150 years ago, senators were literally dueling in the streets, killing each other. Go back and look at Andrew Jackson. How many duels did that man win? How many fist fights did he get in for, for arguing about politics, which it should be passionate like that? Right. So if this mob's boss, this teamster boss wants to run his mouth on Twitter and then all of a sudden hide behind Bernie Sanders when this guy actually wants to do something about it face to face, eh, that's a, what we call a coward. Right. You want to run your mouth until you're face to face with somebody. Maybe just don't run your mouth. Right. If you're not the big tough guy that you think you are, maybe don't say anything to somebody who you know nothing about, because what it turned out is that this man was actually an ex-MMA fighter. And you're really not an ex-MMA fighter, you know, to me. is like you still can fight. Maybe you don't actively, because the guy's probably like 45, 50 maybe. But he's an MMA fighter, right? You see a little bit of cholera on this senator, right? So I think this is awesome. I think there should be more fistfights in Senate. I think that, that the reason that it's shaped like a circle is for everybody to watch as two senators fistfight or a senator and a teamster mob boss who are talking shit on Twitter get together face to face and actually do something about it. Because imagine how much shit would be, how much less shit would be talked on Twitter if you had more people like Senator Mullins out there willing to actually confront people when they're seeing them face to face. So speaking of, I'll take a little sidetrack here. Speaking of seeing people face to face, I was at last night, I was at a uh, business uh, networking event. Um, I, I do have a life outside of this podcast, guys. I do have a family and children to feed. So I do, I am in a professional environment. And in that professional environment, I have to go out and speak to people and promote my business and uh, build the business and have connections with other people. Now, I don't talk about my business very much here because I don't see much of a need to yet. But in this case, I was walking around doing some networking at a nice bar. I had a beer in my hand, and all of a sudden, I have this guy out of nowhere go, Austin Adams, the far-right podcaster, didn't expect to see you here. Why are you here, Austin? This is a blue state. You don't belong here. You hate gay people. You hate transgenders. You you don't agree with this and that. And just heart, straight up harassing me loudly, belligerently drunk man who could barely string a sentence together, uh, let alone formulate a proper argument to back up his criticisms of my alleged positions, which he seemed to have wrong more than right. But he also seemed to have followed my stuff for a fairly long time, which is really interesting. Um, if you ever see me out and about, come say hi. Uh, I'll shake your hand. I'd love to talk to people. I've, I've had a several, several, several people come up to me and notice me just walking around, whether it's an event or, you know, I had somebody come up to me and I talked to for a long time at Jordan Peterson. You know, it's there's there's some I love interacting with you guys. So if you want to get belligerent and you don't like me, that's fine, too, because guess what, bitch? Just like Senator Mullins, I ain't scared. Come up and say hi. Tell me what you disagree with, and I'd love to have a conversation with you. So anyways, this guy comes up to me belligerently drunk, starts yelling across this bar at a nice, nice bar at a nice, like, well-put-together networking event. And uh, 
And so this guy follows me around the bar because I just go, are you, are you here for business or are you here for politics? I'm confused. And uh, just just tried to walk away from the guy. And he follows me, follows me, follows me and start keeps yelling belligerent shit at me. And so finally, I set my beer down and I just turn and face him because this guy wasn't going anywhere. And I obviously wasn't in any physical danger with this belligerent, uh, out of shape, older man. So I put my beer down and I face the guy. I go, okay, what do you want to talk about, man? What is it? What is it? What am I? What do you think about my positions since you know them so well? First of all, he starts off with the fact that I hate gay people and don't think gay people should get married. I don't agree with gay marriage, which is not my opinion. I think gay people should be able to do whatever they want. I think they should get married. I think that the the marriage that we have today is essentially a tax write-off, and they should be able to have just as much of a tax write-off depending on their sexual orientation as anybody else. And honestly, the, the gays are the homies now. We, you know, we <laughs> have the trans agenda that I think everybody, whether you're straight or gay, can agree with is the problem, not sexuality, right? When And, and this is, you know, you look at the the the... Uh, you go you go into animalistic uh, parallels, right? Animal kingdoms, and you look at okay. There's absolutely uh, homosexual tendencies within the animal kingdom, but I don't think you see anywhere a hippopotamus throwing on a tutu and putting lipstick on its face and calling itself a, a rhino. <laughs> I don't think that's directly comparable, um, but essentially that's what it's doing, right? Um, so, you know, to me, it, the, the, the gay agenda, the gay whatever, I don't care. Do what you want to do. I totally think that you should have every right that straight people have. I don't think there should be any. And I think basically, literally everybody agrees with that, unless you're a super evangelical, you know, very, very right conservative, hyper old school conservative. I think basically everybody agrees that gay people should be able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, as long as it's not shoving your education about sexual tendencies down my child's throat in school, which you haven't done at all. So nobody's saying shit about that. Then he goes into about the trans agenda, right? He starts talking about, oh, you hate trans people. And again, how many times will I say this? I don't hate trans people. I, in fact, think there's probably a, a certain portion of trans people that I'm empathetic to. I think it's an obvious mental illness that I couldn't imagine dealing with where you feel stuck in this body that isn't yours. And and again, I think that's a, maybe a 30, 20% of, it probably gets smaller and smaller percentages of the day that actually have legitimate gender dysphoria where they live in the wrong body according to them. And I can't imagine being stuck in that frame of mind. And I'm sure it's mental torture every day to wake up thinking that you should be this when you're that. I'm empathetic to that, but I also think that they're being taken advantage of for medical pharmaceutical profits. I also think that, you know, we talk about the 20% of actually having gender dysphoria. I think there's about 80, 70, I don't know, I'm throwing fucking numbers out there for you guys, but I do think that there's a, there's a larger percentage than not that is doing it for attention, that is doing it because it's the new thing. It, it makes them important. It gives them a, a reason to wake up every day and be better than you. That that makes them feel special on the inside. And that I have no empathy for you. I I I I, I don't hate you. I don't have a reason to hate you, but I don't have empathy for you. And I and then I think there's a, a smaller subsection of that that's looking both looking for attention and then also trying to peddle a pedophilia uh, agenda down the throat of children, which is, you know, maybe it's not the majority of that percentage, but 
Who knows? You know, but we see it consistently every day. You see a new thing come out about that. So yeah, those are the people I don't like is the people who think that you should shove the trans agenda, hypersexualization of children down the throats of, of young children at a very early age. At really any age, you shouldn't talk to my child about sexual orientation or gender binary or this or that or how to give a blowjob at all. Because guess what? That makes you a pedophile creep. And I don't like pedophile creeps. Whether you think you're a boy and you're a girl or you think that you're a, a rhinoceros when you're a hippopotamus. I, I just did, did. That's where I stand on the, the transgender. So let's be very clear on that. And then next he gets into, you know, uh, all these other things that he just assumes my position on. And, and I've said this before. I, I'm much more and more, uh, when it comes to political affiliation, probably f more on the side of libertarian than I am on the side of, you know, extreme conservatism. And I think that the government is essentially bad at almost everything that it does. And the more that you give the government, the more that they're going to want to take. And that most of the government shouldn't exist. That's my position. Um but with that comes not intervening in people's lives, including gay people, including, you know, I just don't think the government should have their hand in things that aren't about eliminating the golden or, you know, uh, people from trespassing on other people's body and property. That's essentially where I stand. I, you know, everything else is inflated. There should be some social programs for people who are disabled. There should be some social programs for people who make a lower income, um, who are intellectually incapable of earning a better living. I, I think there's some of that to be had. Uh, but I don't think that the government is essentially very good at anything that it's ever done, almost ever, as a, a whole. And I think it's comprised of traditionally and, and historically corrupt individuals who are very bad at what they do and only align their positions with where the money that funded them came from. So it's a flawed system to begin with. So that doesn't really put me on the side of extreme far right, you know, like it, it's just not where I land. And if you think that, you probably just don't listen enough. And, you know, if you think that our, you know, and, and, and this is the thing, too, because we, we've seen my opposing opinion several times irk people who think I am this or I am that. And it's like I am me. I have my own opinions on basically every topic. I don't align with a political affiliation in the way that I view most things as non-political. I don't think trans is a political issue doesn't have to do with the government or politics. It's a social issue and, and it's it's a dangerous one. And it's a part of this woke mind virus that we'll listen to Elon Musk talk about in a little bit. And I don't think that's a political affiliation to have a problem with the, the, the mind virus that is woke ideology, which is permeating across the entire consciousness of American culture, which is killing the once great nation that we were. That's where I stand on that. So anyways, this guy follows me around and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, not being hyper aggressive back. And I just ask him, are you here for business or are you here for politics? Do you actually know my positions or are you assuming? Because I think you're wrong on this. I don't think that. I do think this. I, I you know, something we talked about abortion and I said, yeah, absolutely. I don't think that the government, I think the government should, because he, I said, I'm more libertarian than I am traditional conservative. And he goes, oh, well, then you must think that, uh, you know, you probably voted this on that about abortion. And, uh, you know, I said, I think that the government should have a place in stopping the ending of human life. And I do believe that a baby in the womb is a baby and, and is of value and shouldn't be murdered senselessly for your own, statistically speaking, 
comfort or lack of maturity. Again, that's my position. So anyways, that was my, and by the end of this conversation, this drunk man standing next to me thinking he was going to come, I don't know what he was thinking he was going to do, um, demean me personally for having opinions and sharing them and people finding value in them. Um, eventually was like, hey, you know what? I actually kind of like you. I'm sorry that I came up to you and did this and that. And you seem like a nice guy and you know, Maybe you'll find that too if you come up to me, whether you like me or not. But always come up and say hi. Would love to talk to you guys um, if you ever see me out and about. But um, anyways, the next part of this topic on Senator Mullins is that uh, this feud goes back several months. So let's see if we can find the the video here because um, this feud goes back all the way to... Uh, a time where the original contact that they had together, and give me a second because I'm uh, delaying this because my connection with my other screen wasn't working properly. Um, there we go. So the the what essentially happened four months prior to this, there was a, there was a video that came out. Um, but after this engagement, so let's watch this one first, and then we'll go back to that. After this engagement, the news crew uh, caught up to him and had some questions for him. Um, in which they asked him about this engagement and what his thoughts were on it. So let's go ahead and take a look at this. Here's the video. Well, you should probably ask him that. I mean, he was the one that kept tweeting at us. Uh, we didn't respond until the fifth tweet. And when he said, any place or any time, any place... You know where to find me, cowboy. I thought, well, this is the time, this is the place, and you don't do that in Oklahoma. You don't run your mouth unless you're going to answer the call. Well, that might be the question. Was that the place? Is the Senate hearing the right place to challenge someone to a physical confrontation? Well, I'd already challenged him to September 30th. He could have done it then for charity. Um, I said April. They have the, the uh, what's it called the smoking guns charity for the firefighters and police force. We could have done it then. I've been happy to, but he said stand up, and so I stood up. Yeah, but what about, I mean, just the idea that fighting as a way to solve a problem, is that kind of, are you concerned that yes. the way the conversation is happening here on Capitol Hill? People's been fighting for a long time. I mean, go back to the 1800s, they used to have canings. It was legal to do duels. Um, mm -hmm. If you have a difference, you have a difference. I didn't start it. I didn't tweet at him. I didn't go after him. I have no beef with a guy. I mean, I don't even know the last time I've gotten a street fight. I used to get paid to fight. I'm not, I'm not looking at, I mean, what do I have, what victory is it for me to beat up O'Brien? That would be a shock, right? Uh, but he said it, and I just simply responded. If he wants to call it off and we just go have a cup of coffee, fine. Let's say I don't have a cup of coffee. I have no hard feelings. It's not personal to me. He just challenged me, and I accepted the challenge. Do you, Do you regret, regret it? Regret this moment at all? You should probably ask him. I mean, he's the one that said it. <clears throat> I don't regret asking him. You know, he he said any time, any place. So. And has leadership talked to you at all about about this? No. No, not at all. Have you done any outreach <coughs> to him at all, or has he reached out to you, O'Brien meeting? No. Reached out to you afterwards? No, so. not, not. You know, I ended it and said, if you if you want to end it here, that's fine. You want to sit down and have a cup of coffee, I'll sit down and have a cup of coffee. It's not personal to me, guys. This is not nothing personal. It's just he made the challenge, and I accepted it. It's just that simple. What about just the general tension right now on Capitol Hill? Do you feel as though things are, there's more angst than there has been at other times, and is it preventing you from getting things done? I don't, you know, I can only speak for my time here, 
right? Uh, every since I've been here, there's always been a little bit of tension. This is a total separate issue. You know, this doesn't have to do with policy. This doesn't have to do with politics. This had to do with a guy calling me out, and I simply responded to it. Uh, that, that's so. I don't think the two are really comparable. This has nothing to do with me against unions either. I have nothing against unions. I made that very clear at the end of the hearing. I have nothing against unions. A lot of good friends and family are, are union members. This has to do with just his thug mentality. I mean, look at his background. Look at his history. The guy has a history of this constantly. Um, I mean, and he was the one after he got, became president. He's the one to bring back the mob mentality. What the heck is a mob mentality? And then you're going to bring that mob mentality to me? Okay, well, you can't run your mouth against me. I'm just not that guy. If you want to run your mouth, then we can settle it a different way. But you don't. Literally, if you were to run your mouth to anybody in politics at all, this was the wrong guy to run your mouth to. A former pro MMA fighter and Oklahoma State wrestler. Like, literally the worst person. You could have thrown a dart at the board and probably fought 90% of these old hacks sitting in on Capitol Hill. But you picked the absolute wrong motherfucker to pick the only guy who is an ex-professional MMA fighter. So what I want to do next is just watch a little bit of his one of his MMA fights because there actually is a couple of them. That is up on uh, that is up on YouTube that I found. So let's go ahead and I will pull this up for you. But man, I totally agree. Bring it back. Bring back duels. I don't care if you really want to be tough. I, I'm pretty sure there would be no Democrats left if there was still duels or fist fights in politics. <laughs> they would probably just all be dead. All right, moving on. Outside of this. Let's talk about some other stuff, which is not nearly as interesting or exciting as watching a senator beat up a mob boss on the Senate floor. Uh, but hey, there's not too much that you can do to uh, get that. The very next article that we're going to discuss here is going to be that the, if you didn't know, AI is now racist, according to some news articles who claim so after... Uh, white people seem to be able to get more confused by pictures of people who are AI thinking they're real more than they think real white people are real. And where this gets uh, pretty funny is that, that this was white on white racism, not even, you know, they're saying by definition, because white people are confused by other white people, that the language learning models, the, the, the AI algorithms are biased because they're being fed more white people photos than they are being fed other races. Um, so let's read this article. It comes from uh, Popular Science, and it says, as, as technology evolves, AI-generated images of human faces are becoming increasingly indistinguishable from real photos. But our ability to separate the real from the artificial may come down to a personal biases, both our own as well as that of AI's underlying algorithms. According to a new study recently published in the Journal of Psychological Science, certain humans may misidentify AI-generated white faces as real more often than they can accurately identify actual photos of Caucasians. More specifically, it's white people who can't distinguish between real and AI-generated white faces. In a series of trials conducted by researchers collaborating across universities in Australia, the Netherlands, and the UK, 124 white adults were tasked with classifying a series of faces as artificial or real. 
then rating their confidence for each decision on a 100-point scale. The team decided to match white participants with Caucasian image examples in an attempt to mitigate potential own racial or race recognition bias, the tendency for racial and cultural populations to more poorly remember unfamiliar faces from different demographics. And then remarkably, white AI faces can convincingly pass as more real than human faces. And people do not realize they are being fooled, researchers write in their paper. This was a no slim margin either. Participants mistakenly classified a full 66% of AI images as photographed humans versus barely half as many as the real photos. Meanwhile, the same white participants' ability to discern real from artificial people of color was roughly 50-50. In a second experiment, 610 participants. You could also say, it's like, how do you take this and go, oh, AI is racist? Because you could also say that white people are just bad at distinguishing what's real and not real. In which case, now you're the racist one. <laughs> How's that for the Uno reverse card? Um, in a second experiment, 610 participants rated the same images using 14 attributes contributing to what made them look human without knowing some photos were fake. Of those attributes, the faces proportionally, uh, proportionality, familiarity, mem uh, memorability, and the perception of lifelike eyes ranked highest for test subjects. They have a beautiful little graph here. His qualitative, uh, it says the team dubbed this newly identified, ten or identified tendency to overly misattribute artificially generated faces, specifically white faces, as AI hyperrealism. The start st stark statistical differences are believed to stem from well-documented algorithmic biases within AI development. AI systems are trained on far more white subjects than POCs. According to who? leading to a greater ability to both generate convincing white faces as well as accurately identify them using facial recognition techniques. This disparity ramifications can cripple through countless scientific, social, and psychological situations from identity theft to racial profiling to basic privacy concerns. Our results explain why AI hyperrealism occurs and shows that not all AI faces appear equally realistic with implications for, for proliferating social bias and for public misidentification of AI. The team writes in their paper, adding that the AI hyperrealism phenomenon implies there must be some visual differences between AI and human faces, which people misinterpret. Hmm. It says, it's worth noting that the new study's test pool was both small and extremely limited. <laughs> so, oh, it's worth noting that everything that we just wrote about really has no scientific basis and extremely limited. And some research is undoubtedly necessary to further understand the extent and effects of such biases. Hmm. Interesting. So AI is racist because what? Because it's generating more real white faces according to white people. Because there's no grading system other than this 100 or 60 whatever people that they just had take this survey. But now all of a sudden AI is racist. Who would have thought? Although when working out is, uh, you know, when working out is a sign of white nationalism and uh, eating healthy is now uh, also classified as you being a uh, racist or whatever, um, I guess it's no surprise. Now, the next thing that we're going to talk about is that uh, that's something that, you know, you probably heard about is they all look alike. Um, this comes from a Forbes article. It's called The Other Race Effect where um, people of, who are, are white or people who are Indian or people who are black or Hispanic or whatever have a much easier time distinguishing the differentiation between somebody of their own race than other races. Um, so that's actually contradictory to what you would kind of expect here, where you would think that, and I wonder if they did, how well will white people rate other colors, other races, 
right? Um, and vice versa, right? Did they only do white with white people and black with black people and Hispanics with Hispanic people and Mexicans with Mexicans and Indians? I don't know. They really gave us very little information to go off scientifically. Um, but I digress. All right. The very next article that we're going to discuss here is going to be about, oh, you know what? Let's hold that thought right there. Because I appreciate you because I know earlier when I asked you that you hit that subscribe button. I also know that you probably left a five-star review, but I also know that maybe there's one of you out there, one of you that unlike all of the other people who are listening to this, maybe didn't leave a five-star review. Maybe you're the one person. Maybe you think I'm talking to you right now because I am. I'm talking directly at you because you still haven't left a five-star review and it takes five seconds and all you have to do is click the button, press the five stars. If you're on Apple Podcasts, all you do is scroll down just a little bit, hit the fifth star and then type something nice. I don't know. Maybe act like that belligerent guy at the bar and tell me what you hate about me, but just leave it as long as it's a five-star review. It's cool, right? Anyways, um, go ahead, leave a five-star review. Tell me what you liked about the episode, what you like about the podcast in general. Um, love feedback. So anything that I can do for you guys to improve, I would be happy to. All right. And back to the thing. The next thing we're going to talk about is that majority of Americans are now taking notice to the rise of tipflation is what this is being coined across industries. It says around seven in 10 U.S. adults say tipping is expected in more places today than it was five years ago. And I completely agree. If you are in a regular business establishment, if you are not actively serving me, nothing drives me crazier is when you flip around your little card reader and you go, hey, could you just you know, just just tap one of those buttons right there. And it says, hey, do I want to give you $7 for me swiping my own debit card and you doing your job and nothing more or nothing less, right? There's very little that you could do to make me want to tip some person that works at 7-Eleven. I don't know the last time I was in a 7-Eleven. But uh, I, it's just so wild to me how confident People in restaurant industries, and this it's really comes down to the point of sales. And you have to understand that the psychology around this is it's just a, it's just a sales technique. You know, it's like ninety percent of people uh, don't even ask for the sale when it comes to sales, and that's why most people suck at selling stuff. But they just integrated into the point of sale systems a way to say, "Hey, do you want to give me more money than what you know inflation's already caused us to increase our prices for?" Right, because who knows where this money is actually going? Is it actually being distributed amongst the, the the staff at a coffee place? Like when all they did was make the coffee when they're getting paid to make the coffee, right? Like I get if you're a bartender, I get if you're waiting on somebody, I get if you you know, like I have a rule. Everybody basically gets 20, 25% unless you do something terrible or you never check in on me or my drinks completely empty the whole time. And you get 40% or more if you are wiping the table in front of me, getting the crumbs off the table, like taking it at that extra step that you would expect when you go to a really nice restaurant. Um, so it's like if you are going above and beyond, you deserve a tip. If you're in a service industry and your wage depends on it. But you do not deserve a tip for literally almost any industry, you're getting paid for a service, 
right? There's no reason that I should have to pay you above and beyond what that amount is. And even in the service industry, tipping should go away overnight and the restaurants should just start paying fair wages to their employees, not working through this loophole to where you have to beg people to work. And, and again, I'm for commission. I'm for incentivizing people to do their job well when you're selling and there's a transaction. And I guess maybe that's kind of what it is. That'd be a, a counter argument or a devil's advocate to my position, which is that you want to incentivize your wait staff to work and be better at servicing people that are at your restaurant. And the way to do that is to allow a capitalistic form of that, which is if you give good service, then you get more money. But this probably doesn't work generally out that way. I, I just think that the restaurant should pay the people like everybody else in the entire world and just pay them what they should get paid for doing their job. It would make more sense to me. Anyways, nothing drives me crazier than going through a drive-thru and then having them turn around their point of sale system and then look me dead in the eye like their puppy just died, hoping that I give them $3 off of or for, as a tip for my $3 coffee. Like, no, thank you. But this article says, and I'll just skim it for you because we just talked about it for probably too long as it is. Americans are realizing the tips for servers aren't just for restaurants and bars anymore. Pew Research surveyed 12,000 adults almost in August 2023 using the center's nationally represented American trends. Don't care. Um, they feel about the practice across a variety of different services from takeout to haircuts. That's another one. If you're giving me food, you charge me for the food, not for making it. That's inherently built into the price. A broad majority of Americans say they're being asked to tip service workers more frequently than in the past. Around 7 in 10 U.S. adults say tipping is expected in more places today than it was five years ago, finding that tracks with anecdotal reporting has ever been dubbed tipflation. And I guess all that you're realizing is that the new point of sale systems have integrated this completely because why wouldn't you just ask for more money? This appears to be crossed, uh, true across demographics and is partially due to changing technology as the adaptation of the point of sale tablets, apps, and digital kiosks have made it easier for businesses to provide customers with tip prompts and suggestions. Yeah, right. Exactly what I said. The report noted that even as Americans are increasingly asked for paid tips, relatively few have a great deal of confidence about what and how or when and how to do so. Only about a third say it's extremely or very easy to know whether or to know whether or how much to tip for different types of services. How about zero for all of them unless you're waiting on me and bringing me beer consistently? <laughs> There's also not a consensus on whether tipping is a voluntary choice or an expected obligation. Around two in ten Americans say it's more of a choice, while thirty percent say it's more of an obligation. Ew. The largest share, 50%, says it depends on the situation, underscoring the lack of a single set of rules of expectations. Okay. More, more, more Americans oppose than favor businesses suggesting tip amounts to their customers, for example, on the bill or on a checkout screen. Another 32% neither favor nor oppose the practice. Interesting. Who cares? Let's move on. Anyways. Hmm. It has some percentages as to which, you know, what people think about certain industries asking, which, you know, who cares? Anyways, uh, the next thing that we're going to talk about here is going to be that, what is this one? Um, yeah, so we talked about this last week, but um, the individual, let me see if I can pull his name back up. Uh, police in England have arrested a suspect in connection with the death of former NHL player Adam Johnson, who tragically died last month when his neck was slashed by the skate of an opposing player. The South Yorkshire police released a statement Tuesday confirming an arrest in their investigation into the death of 29-year-old Johnson. The suspect, who was not identified by law enforcement, was arrested on suspicion of manslaughter. Hmm. Police said the suspect remains in custody. Teammate of ex-player 
NHL player calls tragic deaths most traumatizing thing that I've seen in my entire life. Yeah, definitely. The former Pittsburgh Penguin forward was playing in the challenging or a challenge cup between the Nottingham Panthers and Sheffield Steelers on October 28th when the, during the second period he suffered a fatal neck wound. Matt Petgrave collided with another player causing a skate to go up in the air. Um, so basically they, uh, the police said on Thursday that an autopsy revealed his official cause of death was the result of a fatal neck injury. Yeah. He bled to death on the ice guys. That's, you're not finding anything new. And it, it's exactly what these like witch hunt that we saw with all of these conservative voices, including the people that I mentioned last time, you know, the DC Dranos, the, uh, libs of TikTok, the, all of these, you know, gross attempts at trying to act like you actually know what was going on in the ice. But what you find is when you look at that footage a little bit slower, you'll see that the skate basically traveled up this, the stick of another player as this guy was in a weird, like hip check position and his leg went up the, the skate or the stick and hit the guy's neck, which is like, again, it, it's just, it's tragic what happened, but should this guy get, go to jail? No, you shouldn't go to jail. But like if a cleat hit a guy's throat on accident, and again, I absolutely believe this was an accident. I don't think it was a, you know, in Dominic and Sue situation where he jabbed his cleat into the guy's throat purposefully to try and hurt him. And then, yeah, if that's the case, but there's just nothing that indicates intent here. There's nothing that indicates that this guy should go to jail for anything other than playing the sport that he loved and it having inherent risks. Because where does this stop now? Because guys literally fist fight each other on the ice, right? And granted, that doesn't generally end in death. And I don't think there's been a single case of that that I can recall. Um, besides maybe one where the guy fell in his head in the ice like a long, long time ago. Um, but to me, there's just there's there's no true reason that this guy should be arrested. I, I completely disagree with this. I, I absolutely believe that this was an accident, but I just wanted to tie that loose end for you guys that, that that guy was arrested and is currently incarcerated for suspicion of manslaughter. Now, it'll be interesting to see this case go to trial and to actually listen in and see what's being said and what the argument is, because I just do not see an argument for this man going to jail for playing a sport that is inherently dangerous and having something happen like what happened, which again is tragic. Um, but just wanted to tie that loose end for you guys. Now, that leads us to the next sporting event, which is that there was a California teen who was suspended following a blackface allegation on the football field for literally wearing eye black. You know, the thing that you've seen every football player almost ever have on their face was suspended from school. And told that he cannot return to his sport because he was wearing blackface. This article coming from Toronto Sun says that an eighth grade student of Loyola, California, has reportedly been suspended for allegedly wearing blackface to a local football game. However, a national civil rights group called the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression claims the boy identified as J.A. was wearing black eye paint to reflect any glare as many football players do, because you should. According to the New York Post, a student was photographed on October 13th attending a high school football game between the Loholis High School and Morse High School with dark face paint covering his cheeks and chin. We had a fun, great night without any trouble. This is literally a, what, a 13-year-old that wore eye black on his face to a football game and probably put a little bit too, it's not, 
it's so silly. I guess kind of need to see a picture of it to make a real distinction, but it can't be worse than what Justin Trudeau did, you know, literally wearing the a, a, a turban on his head and and wore blackface acting like a, a I don't know, a snake charmer or something. The most racist thing that you'll ever see if you want to talk about blackface, right? Go look at Justin Trudeau, not some 13-year-old going to a football game wearing paint under his eyes. Like, this is where we've gotten to where AI is racist and wearing eye black under your 13-year-old's eyes is now blackface. Like, let's find real demons to slay here. I, I think that's where we've gone as a society now is, like, there's always been there's always been eyes in the bushes, right? And, and our amygdala is constantly surveying our surroundings, looking for something to jump out and attack us. And obviously, that's not the case with what we're talking about here. But I, I think that we've been so conditioned to find... Uh, to find problems with our surroundings that now there's we're in such a cushy, soft environment where very little violence actually occurs, you know, unless you're on the Senate floor next to Bernie Sanders. <laughs> um, but very little violence occurs, very little real confrontation occurs. And, and in a world where that happens, we seek it because we are biologically wired to engage in confrontation, to have real demons. The, 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 the monsters that have been around for years and years and thousands of years, as we know it, the raping, the pillaging, the war, the this, the that. Now, obviously, war is still going on, and we'll talk about that in our next subject. But in the day-to-day -day life, people are so removed from real violence. People are so removed from, from what it meant to be a human a hundred years ago, right? And so you have a principal going off of a social media picture, suspending a student for literally wearing sport eye black under his eyes, looking for to, to, to make a monster out of a child who literally just went to a football game. This is the First Amendment protects JA's non-disruptive expression of team spirit via style commonly used by athletes and fans, notwithstanding your inaccurate description of it as blackface. Fire calls upon the school to remove the infraction of, from JA's disciplinary record and lift the ban on his attendance at future athletic events. Tear said JA's appearance emulated the style of eye black worn by many athletes, noting that such use of eye black began as a way to reduce glare during games which is different from blackface, as is dark makeup worn to mimic the appearance of a black person and especially to mock or ridicule black people. Yeah. There's some horrific actual instances of that. Go look at Howard Stern's uh, old, um, I don't know what you call it, bit, where he did uh, blackface pretending to be talking to Whoopi Goldberg, I think it was, and he said the actual N-word like, seven times thinking he was being funny and then the what is it the prime minister of canada wearing blackface i'm pretty sure like multiple times for halloween um all right now speaking of war let's go into this transition elon musk was on lex friedman's podcast and during this conversation together uh elon musk um had a really interesting and, and similar opinion to what i have when it comes to the israel hamas situation which is what I will play for here, you here in just a second. But I would say something that I've noticed more recently is that Lex Friedman, his podcast, if you don't listen to his podcast, it's, it's, it's one of my favorites. I definitely think there's uh, is probably the best, most tactful, well-done podcast that is out there today, above even Joe Rogan. You go listen to the podcast with Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, 
it's not half of as insightful and empathetic and interesting as the conversation that was had with Lex Friedman. Um, so just a side note, but let's listen to this conversation and see what he had to say about the Israel and Hamas war. All right, and here it is. Fellow Russian into a horrifying knockout. Obviously, Israel going to the body, and he wants to do that more tonight. Good, quick left hand shown by Wilder. There's a right hand, drives the coverage into the ropes. So, like I said, somehow controversial. You've been a uh, proponent of these. Mm. A little bit of technical difficulties here. I'm, I'm having a problem with my other screen is freezing every single time I go to use the screen. So just give me one second here. But while that happens, I'll kind of give you the TLDR of what Elon Musk says, which is essentially that if he had to give advice to Israel in his position today, what would he say to the leadership there? How, how do you get out of this and have it? Uh, is there a winning side? Is there a possibility to even win this war? And what what would you say to Israel in order to 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 come out of this better than you went into it right because they're quickly as we'll find in the next the next situation they're quickly losing favor by the american people um so when when that's happening and you're, you're seeing it in real time them start to have you know coming out with propaganda campaigns just today saying that, oh, look, we found these weapon caches and in this hospital that we just bombed and raided. It's like, uh, okay, because you could have just as easily planted those weapons to justify your war, which would be one of the least bad things that has ever happened in war as a false flag. But anyways, I digress. Here is this clip, Lex Friedman and Elon Musk. Or maybe it's not because my computer is freezing again. Um, so let's see one last time here and then we'll move on to the next one if we can't get it here. Uh, so we will jump out. We will jump back in and share that screen one last time. The path to peace could be. How do you hope the current war in Israel and Gaza comes to an end? Uh, what path do you see that can minimize human suffering in the long term in that part of the world? Well, yeah, I think it, that that part of the world is is definitely like if you look up the there is no easy answer in the dictionary. It'll be that like the picture of uh, the Middle East um, and Israel especially. So there is no easy answer. Um, or what my this is strictly my opinion of you know uh, is that. Uh, the the goal of Hamas was to provoke an overreaction from Israel. Um, they obviously did not expect to, uh, you know, have a military victory, um, but they they, they they really wanted to commit the worst atrocities that they could in order to provoke the the most aggressive response possible from Israel, um, and then leverage that uh, aggressive response to um, rally. Muslims worldwide uh, for the cause of uh, Gaza and Palestine, which they have succeeded in doing. Um, so the, 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 
counterintuitive thing here. I think that the, the thing that I think should be done, even though it is very difficult, uh, is that um, I, I would recommend that Israel engage in the most cons conspicuous acts of kindness possible. Every everything. That is the actual thing that would thwart the goal of Hamas. So in some sense, the degree that makes sense in geopolitics, turn the other cheek, implemented. It's not exactly turn the other cheek, um, because I do think that there's, um, you know, th th I think it, it is appropriate for Israel to find the Hamas members and, you know, um, either either kill them or incarcerate them. Um, like that, something that something has to be done because that they're just going to keep, keep, keep coming otherwise. Um, but uh, in addition to that, they need to do whatever they can. Um, there's some talk of. So I do like what he said there: conspicuous acts of kindness, right? And and he gets into the philosophical reason as to why he believes that you know those conspicuous you know, obvious acts of kindness that everybody sees should be happening as a way to gain public, uh, uh, gain public, I don't know if, um, what the right word would be there, to, to gain public popularity. And I don't even know if it's popularity, but acceptance of this war and the acts that they're committing, right? And, and he's saying that because the way that people are viewing this right now, we're going to find find out that almost 70% of people in the U.S. today believe that Israel is going overboard in its reaction against Palestine and Hamas, right? Bombing the, the um, safe zones, like hitting ambulances with rockets, and all of these things are, are war crimes. That's exactly what they are. They're war crimes. And as a established nation state that is a... a, a, a a agreed upon nation by all the other countries in the world, you don't get to commit acts of terrorism. And I see constantly, constantly people are arguing me saying that Israel is justified in committing acts of terrorism because they're dealing with terrorists. Well, guess what? You know what that makes you? A terrorist, regardless of your reasoning. Because if you look to Hamas, they have their reasons too. But the way that they act is not within the confines of what's allowable in order for them to be an agreed upon nation, to be a part of the Geneva Convention, to be uh, to be somebody that is recognized on a world stage, right? That makes you a terrorist organization, right? And so when everybody says, oh, well, how are you supposed to deal with this? You deal with it with a scalpel, not with Roman candles, right? You didn't see the United States bombing hospitals. You didn't see them bombing ambulances. You didn't see them killing unbelievable amounts of women and children, which to be fair is not completely true. There was lots of women and children killed by the United States command during our war in Afghanistan and Iraq, which are, again, I totally disagree with, you know, and I have other people going, well, you know, casualties have to be made in war. It's like, to what extent? Or are you just perpetuating sickness and, 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 and murder and, and hate that is going to be generational now? Because even if I knew that my grandparent was killed by Israel or whoever, fill in the blank, because they hated them or to, to, in response or revenge for whatever silly act, it's never about the reasoning. It's just about who did what to who when. And if you're related to me and or if you kill somebody who's related to me, I will spend my life coming after you, right? I, I absolutely will dedicate my life to hunting you down 
as any sane man and protector should. So you mitigate that by inconspicuous acts of kindness, which I, I like the way that he phrased that, by, by showing compassion and showing empathy and showing love for, for the this, this civilians that are on the other side of this that are truly the victims of both sides, whether it's Hamas or, Palestine, or, or Israel, the, the Palestinian civilians are, are literally the, the, the worse off of anybody, right? Because they're getting it from Hamas, they're getting it from Israel, and they have nothing to do with either side of it. They're just stuck in the middle. And so he goes on and to explain the philosophical reasons why, and I won't ruin it because he will probably explain it maybe the high level better than me, and I might have a little bit to add to it. So, uh, so establishing, for example, a mobile hospital, I'd recommend doing that. Um, just making sure that, uh, you know, there's food, water, uh, medical necessities, um, and, and just be over the top about it and be very transparent. So it's it, so that it can't people can't claim it's a trick, like just put a webcam on the thing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all twenty four seven. Deploy acts of kindness. Yeah, conspicuous acts of kindness, that that with that are unequivocal, meaning they can't be somehow, because Hamas will then their response will be, oh, it's a trick. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you have to counter how how is it not a trick. This ultimately fights the broader force of hatred in the in the region. Yes, and I'm not sure who said it. It's an apocryphal saying, but an eye for the for an eye makes everyone blind. Now, now that neck of the woods, Gandhi. they really, I believe, believe in the whole eye for an eye thing. Um, but I mean, you really have if if you're not going to just outright commit genocide, like against an entire people, which obviously would not be acceptable to, to, to really shouldn't be acceptable to anyone, um, then you're, you're going to leave basically a lot of people alive who subsequently, you know, hate Israel. So really the question is like, how, for, for every Hamas member that you kill, how many did you create? Mm -hmm. And if you create more than you killed, you've not succeeded. That's the, you know, the real situation there. Um, and it's safe to say that if, you know, um, if you know, if if you kill somebody's child in Gaza, you've you've, you've made at least a few uh, Hamas members who will die just just to kill an Israeli. That's the situation. So, <clears throat> but but I mean, this is one of the most contentious subjects. One could possibly discuss, but but I, I think if if the if the goal ultimately is some sort of long term peace, one has to be look at this from standpoint of over time, are there more or fewer uh, terrorists being created? Which is the perfect depiction of how how to approach this properly, right? It's like the end goal isn't, and for some people maybe it is. It's just revenge. Right, but the end goal should not be just revenge. The end goal should be the elimination of the faction that is perpetuating acts of terrorism against you. And you you saw what happened against ISIS. You saw what happened against all the other terrorist organizations that you've seen pop up over the last 25 years. But it, it doesn't go away overnight. The, the guerrilla warfare tactics that they utilize makes it very, very difficult to a, win a war against a terrorist organization. Um, 
and so what what you find is that for every what he said is like if you kill f- five Hamas members and for every five Hamas members you kill three civilians right you can go that shallow in your math but if you go for every five Hamas members you kill three civilians of those three civilians you kill one woman and one children and of those one women and one children of those civilians that you killed each of those have a family where you created six more Hamas members. So let's do terrorist math. And now you know that you killed five Hamas members, but you created 12 of them as a result. So it doesn't work out where you just have this wrath of, of revenge against the Palestinian and, and Hamas members and Palestinian civilians where you come out on this on top because you're just going to, if there was a ticker of how many Hamas members there are, there's probably more now than there was before you started bombing ambulances, right? You you can't justify those acts. And so when you are committing acts of terrorism in the name of eradicating terrorism, it's a losing game. You're just perpetuating the very thing that you set out to destroy and you became it yourself in the name of your own righteousness, which is just factually incorrect. You are not the good guy. There is no good guy in this situation. There isn't one. And for anybody who thinks that there's good guys and bad guys, I heard Dave Smith talk about this and say, you know, there's um, there's Decepticons and there's, uh, you know, and maybe that was, uh, I think that maybe that was Elon Musk even, um, but I've heard um, there's the Decepticon and, um, you know, those are the bad guys and there's there's the good guys, right? Um, it's just a, it's a flawed, it's a flawed ideology. It's a flawed philosophical understanding of war. There's no, there's no good guy here. Neither side is, is committing acts of terrorism in the name of goodness. They're just killing women and children and maybe some of the people that they set out to kill to begin with, which you can either argue one way or another, whether that's acceptable or not. If you just want to take it and say an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, yes, because for every eye that you take, there's going to be one, I don't know how am I going to take that (laughs) reference, there's going to be one that regrows and looks at the other two eyes that are in front of them and those two eyes know six other eyes behind them are watching. I don't know where I was going to take that. Um, But anyways, the idea is the same, right? Perpetuating acts of terrorism to eradicate terrorism does not work. Elon Musk just stated that perfectly, though. And I believe they're absolutely creating more terrorist members as a result of the bombings that are happening in Palestine than they had at the beginning of this war. And it's a losing game, right? So the next thing that they discuss is the woke mind virus, as I mentioned earlier. And I do appreciate this, especially the timing of this, because a lot of people, you know, he, uh, Lex Friedman asks Elon Musk, you know, how do you feel about becoming increased? Do you, do you regret becoming increasingly political in your public appearance over the last, you know, year or so? And he goes, I don't know if I've become political in the same way that I just disagree with the uh, the, the the idea of the woke mind virus. So here here it is. Here's another very tactful, good conversation between Elon Musk and Lex Friedman. And in true spirit today, it doesn't want to work properly, but here we go because I'll get it to work. All right, there we go. And here it is. 
You do have to admit that I have some skill sitting here talking and also running the show and pulling up the clips all simultaneously. A lot of podcasters have guys behind the scenes. Just just me and my boy over here, you know, my my plastic see-through dog behind me. Uh, but, you know, I got some skills. Here we go. Uh, over the past year or so since since purchasing X, you've become more political. Is there a part of you that regrets that? Have I? In this battle to um, sort of counterweigh the, the woke that comes from Yeah, I guess if you, if you consider fighting the, the woke mind virus, which I consider to be a civilizational threat, to be political, then yes. So basically going into the, the battle, the battleground of politics. I mean, is there a part of you that regrets yes, that? Yes, I don't know if this is necessarily sort of one candidate or another candidate, but it's, um, I'm generally against things that are, anti-meritocratic uh, or where there's an attempt to suppress discussion, um, where ev even discussing a topic is, uh, you know, not allowed. Um, well, Biden virus is communism rebranded. Well, I mean, that said, because of that battle against the woke mind virus, you're perceived as being right wing. Uh, if the woke is left, then I suppose that would be true. Um, but I'm not sure. I think there are aspects of the left that are that are good. I mean, if you're in favor of, you know, uh, the the environment, um, or, you know, if you want to have a positive future for humanity, if you believe in empathy for your. So I totally agree with that, and I think that's uh, something I haven't been able to articulate fellow human beings as well, um, as he just did there, know, which is the idea that if being anti woke. And being woke means being left, and being anti woke means being right. Then, sure, I'm definitely right. I'm not uh, left, right? I do think that, but but from an individual level, I disagree with some things on both sides, and I agree with something here, and I disagree with something there, and I agree with something on the right, and I disagree with some things on the right as well. So it's like, in the sense that there is this, and has been this, movement towards pushing into or pushing back on this woke mind virus, as he calls it, it's the perfect depiction of this. Because I don't think you need to be traditionally conservative or con traditionally liber liberal or traditionally cons you know, conservative or uh, a Democrat or a Republican to be against all of this woke ideology that's been permeating from critical race theory to trans agendas to hypersexualization within our school systems to you know the the push for abortion at any late stage regardless of the age of the baby it, it, there's there's so much d d radicalism that is on the left and i've said this before and, and and i think it's true it's like you look at what the far what it means to be far left they have far more radical opinions than what it means to be far right right to be far right means don't infringe on gun rights uh, ab absolutist free speech, um, uh, no, uh, a complete ban of abortion. Uh, what are more far right things like that? There's a elite class of people who are generally pedophiles, which we know to be true. Like, what is it that it means to be far right? Because to be far left, it means that gender does not exist. It means that children should be killed in the womb regardless of what stage they are in development. 
It means that children should be taught how to give a blowjob in second grade. And it means that, you know, you should, there, there's far more radical ideologies, right, on the left than there is the right. And that is the woke mind virus. And you see it, you know, it means that if you're white, you're guilty of, of colonialism and mass genocide, even though we're how many generations removed from that. It means that you're, you should be constantly apologetic for the color of your skin, which is literally just reverse racism. And, and by the way, let's give the reminder that the Democrats f started the KKK and the Republicans abolished slavery. Like that's, that is the truth here. Like no matter how much you try to uh, anti or, or wash, whitewash our, our history, the Democrats were historically the racists. And the Republicans abolish slavery. Like, okay, I, I'm just I just fail to see what is the extremist right side of things that that makes a, a far right person far right. Um, that that is the equ equivalence of what you see being the radical ideologies of the far left. It, it, I, I just don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong. And if you think I'm uh, there's things that I'm being blind to on the far right side of things, tell me what they are because I would be interested because I, I, it just doesn't equate to the same radical, uh, unfounded truth that you see from, you know, gender theory and critical race theory and all these non-existent, uh, you know, scientifically unproven ways of making you guilty for simply existing. Anyways, I thought that was a really, really good articulation of, of what it means to, to, you're political. You have to be political by default to be in this battle, right? Because it's it, it, the where it's being fought, the battleground where these things are being pushed is within politics, is within the governmental school systems, is by educators, is within the 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 confines of our tax dollars, right? Everything that we just talked about: Planned Parenthood funded by taxes, uh, gender theory being taught in schools, um, critical race theory being taught in schools. Diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, you know, non-meritocracy based uh, outcomes, you know, equality of outcome, all of those things are, are being per per perpetuated through your tax dollars. So by default, in order to get on the battlefield and say, hey, I don't think you should tell a third grader how to give a blowjob or, hey, maybe you don't have the coked up man dressed as a woman wearing woman face who you know, was in a hypersexual culture yesterday, gyrating in front of a crowd for money, reading books to my children. Like, maybe don't do that. I, I think that's a pretty fair, fair thing. So it's, you know, the, the, where you have to fight that is in the political sphere. You know, if I had it my way, I would be talking about more non-political things than political things. But all of the conversations that need to be had are within the confines of politics today, because that's where the battleground is being fought on this mind virus. That is where they are. That is the channel that they've decided to, to sink their venomous teeth into, um, to perpetuate their theories, uh, and, and in, enforcement of such. So you have to get involved at that level in order to be effective. All right. Now, moving on from that, there's some other great clips that came out from some podcasts this week. Another one coming from Dana White and Theo Vaughn. Uh, if you, Theo Vaughn is probably the funniest dude ever to live in this 
history of humanity. <laughs> this guy, Theo Vaughn is like by far my, my favorite personality within this world. The dude's so off the wall. His, his brain just works different and everything that comes out of his mouth is just absolutely hilarious. But he did a, a interview with the UFC's Dana White recently, and they touched on a couple things that I wanted to talk about. The first one being about Bud Light, and the second one being about uh, Donald Trump and sponsorships, and uh, you know, similar conversation to what we just had about this like woke mind virus and the cancel culture that's come as a result of it. Uh, so let's go ahead and pull that up, and we will look at it together. Here it is. And this one's about Bud Light. Sponsors, I know you guys have a new sponsorship. You guys have a new sponsorship with Bud Light, right? Yep. But is it, do people like, do companies come and do like Shark Tank for you kind of to present the brand? Kinda. Or like, yeah, kind of. So, um, you know, the UFC is at a point now where, you know, guys come to us and, and, and want to pitch their, their brands or whatever it is to, to uh, advertise with us. And recently, uh, you know, I, I've become very involved in the, uh, on the sponsorship side. So, you know, I, I meet with these guys and, and uh, you know, I, I just did a, an interview the other day with the, with the media at the scrum at slap. And it's just, I'm at a point now where in my life and my career, I want to be with people that I'm aligned with people that, you know, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not just about the money. It's like this whole Bud Light deal. You know, people are talking shit now. Sell out and all the shit that the fuck is it? Believe me, I'm the furthest fucking thing from a sellout. Yeah. Bud Light is the right move for me. They're exactly who I want to be with right now. And uh, we are very aligned as far as core values go. You know what I mean? 65,000 Americans they employ. Yeah. That right there should be enough. 65,000 Americans are employed there. Why would you want to put a bullet in that brand off of one fucking thing? How about you go back and look at all the good things they've done? Yeah. Right? That's a good point. And where they really stand and what they really believe in. They take care of veterans. They, they, they take care of veterans' families and first responders' families who have fallen. And the list just goes on and on. Almost a billion dollars a year with U.S. farmers. Wow. That alone is the reason you should be drinking fucking Bud Light. Yeah. So Fuck, I, used, I, I look deeper than just fucking, right. you know, oh, they did this fucking can with whoever. I don't give a shit about that. It's, they've already, they're showing right now that they're coming with me and they want to be aligned with me. Mm -hmm. Those of you that are hardcores, some of you guys are fanatical on this shit. That should be your, you know, and I, you guys think you're all looking for an apology. I ain't going to fucking apologize to you. Yeah. So here's my thought on that. So Dana White goes with the Yvonne and just says, you know, you guys, you guys are blowing this out of proportion and they employ 65,000 Americans that alone should make you drink Bud Light. There's a lot of industrialized corporations out there that just because they employ people doesn't automatically mean you should buy their stuff. And by the way, the reason I don't drink Bud Light is because it tastes like shit. But what you have to understand is this was a, a line in the sand Right, you have this this woke ideology permeating into all of these different subcultures, and they just did it with the wrong brand, and everybody took this, took a stand. And the reason that Dana White did this is not because they're aligned politically. The reason Dana White did this is because he bought the, or got this sponsorship for 
ungodly amounts of money and in a section of the hyper-masculine culture, which is the MMA and UFC and all of that, that is the perfect play for the right a smart marketing play on Bud Lights, which is probably what they should have done in the first place instead of paying some uh, man wearing woman face to to support their brand. Uh, this this is a smart move by Dana White because they're probably willing to pay ungodly amounts more than they would have to or, or than they would have had to two years ago, right? To to be the partner of the UFC because they've lost all respectability from the general American public. And this is the perfect marketing play. So whoever is the head of marketing at Bud Light at this point, smart move. But Dana White sitting here saying that this isn't about money and we're politically aligned, I just don't buy it. There's no way that 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 Dana White is doing this for any reason other than money. No, you just can't justify that. You can't say that you're aligned politically. Yeah, they've given back to veterans. Okay, like, what does that even look like? And there's far, there's a lot of organizations who do that as a tax write-off. Like, I just, there's nothing that you could tell me right now that would have everybody go, oh, you're right, Bud Light. We're going to keep drinking your shitty beer. Because the only reason people bought Bud Light was for the brand, was for the marketing, was for the the legacy that was an American uh, an American brand that has always been traditionally American and and held American values. And American values don't hold disintegrating femininity into sexual organs and makeup and hair, right? There is uh, a, 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 something that went out today, I believe it was by Xavier. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's with PragerU. And um, and, and what he said was d- diminishing femininity down to their sexual organs and trying to say that, you know, you can cup your, your dick off and invert it and all of a sudden you're a woman because you now have an orifice where you shouldn't doesn't make you a woman. The whole reason that you have that sexual uh, organ to begin with is so that you can create life. It's so much deeper than the, the surface level that that they're trying to make it out to be. So no, there's there's nothing that I, I don't think this will work. I think if anything, it's gonna hurt the UFC's uh the the non-fanatic UFC people from because guess what? The same happened with the NFL, the same happened with the NHL. They they all eventually the pendulum swings back. And so Dana White very well may regret this decision. And maybe he won't because he's probably getting paid a, a large chunk of money to do this, which is what Dana White is. He's a brilliant, brilliant businessman. And by the way, Dana White looks good right now compared to what he looked like before. Dana White was in rough, rough shape health-wise for a long time. And the the way that he was able to turn around, you know, even just the bags under his eyes, the weight that he carried, the age that he had, he looked like, like, it's crazy that Dana White looks about as good as he ever has at this point, even better than what he looked like at like 30 when he was running the UFC. And I like Dana White. I think he's a great businessman. I think the UFC is a tremendous organization. It's about the only sport that I actually follow at this stage in my life. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not going to stop watching the UFC over this deal. And I don't think that you should either. But I don't think you can sugarcoat it and tell me it's not about the money, Dana. I don't think that you can do that. I don't agree with you. 
Um, but anyways, uh, let's let's finish out this clip and then we'll go to the next clip, which I definitely agree with uh, Dana White. And, and again, really love Dana White and what he stands for and who he is as a businessman and the way that he approaches these conversations. Just you can't convince me that this wasn't about money, Dana. Here we go. Yeah, fuck this that. Is, just because some risky fella, is, you know, just because some, you know. An, they had 2,500 influencers that day. They gave everybody their own I know can. they did. I knew that shit. Yeah. I'm like, they just gave a can to everybody. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. paying attention. Everybody plus, got dude, a if can. I'm, if I don't know where I'm at sexually, I could probably use a drink, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's honestly how I feel, dude. That's guys having, that guy's having <laughs> the toughest day. Oh, that's fucking you can't awesome. decide what union to fucking be in, bro. That's a fucking issue, dude. <laughs> That's a big issue to me. But um, no, I think, uh, look, man, I think it's important. And you know what it makes me think? I don't look and see who, because we're in a place now where I can choose the advertisers that I want. And I never thought about that before. I never have until just now. And I could, I can look at advertisers and see if they have some of the same beliefs and values that I do. 100%. You know, and it's important. And that is how you start to build back things the other way. I wish. And it makes it fun. Whoever yeah. you are and whatever you believe in, when you align yourself with people, not just the people that work for you and around you, but the sponsors that you're with. Yeah. It just makes everything so much more fun. You enjoy your job. You love what you do every day. And there's no bullshit. Nobody's fucking calling you going, you know, hey, don't have fucking Kennedy on your show. Yeah. Hey, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Fucking tell me who I'm going to have on my show. Yeah, go John F. Fuck yourself. Yeah, That's exactly. what I'll tell him. <laughs> there you go. You know? Exactly. <laughs> oh, and that is why Theo Vaughn is... The goat of comedy. Just just the dude you'd the the funniest guy in any room that he walks into. And he does jujitsu. I think uh he he trained at Nashville MMA for quite some time with a buddy of mine. Um and uh super one of the nicest guys apparently. And uh hope hope one day to have the pleasure of of meeting him and having a conversation with him because he's just he's just the best. Um Anyways, let's go on to this next clip where uh, they go a little bit because they alluded to it within that clip where they talk about the fact that um, you can choose your sponsors. And he was talking about Robert F. Kennedy or yeah, um, and uh, Junior. And they were saying that basically um, he had some sponsors that called up and decided to cancel their sponsorship with uh, Theo as a result of him having Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on his podcast. And that led to a conversation by Dana White where he said, oh, I've had similar situations where people said that about Trump. And uh, so uh, a great conversation and, and really interesting to hear them have this discussion. So here is that as I procrastinate until this works. And there it is. All right. Nope, there's not. And there it is. Is. Look at that. Beautiful. All right. Here we go. Kennedy Jr. on, and we had a company call or a couple companies call after that and say, yeah, just stuff about him. We're not advertising on this episode. My advertiser was like, you guys need to take the episode down, you know? And uh and and we ended up And what's wrong with him? Nothing. Nothing. Guy's fucking brilliant. And I've known Guy's him for, a smart fucking I've guy. I've known him for seven years. Great guy. Right. I mean, a neat man. Right. I, I've never met him. Yeah. I've only watched his stuff. And, and you got this whole Democrat, Republican, fucking all this crazy bullshit. He's a fucking Democrat. Yeah. Right? But now they hate him just because he doesn't believe. like He's this. a Democrat with common sense. Right. Yeah. Right? He's like an old school 
Democrat. Yeah. And smart guy, whatever. Let me tell you this. Let me fucking tell you this. This is America. You can fucking have whoever you want on your podcast. You can do whatever the fuck you want to do. Imagine a sponsor that's sponsoring you, calling you and telling you that you can't have this guy. What sponsor did it? Um, I, it? I, let me think. And I'm not afraid to name him. I don't know if I remember. I really don't. Right. I don't know if I believe you, but okay. That's fair. Um, <laughs> but I really don't know if I remember. <laughs> Imagine, and this happened to me too. This, this happened to me. I posted a video for Trump, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. on my personal social media. And one of our big sponsors called and said, take that down. You know what I said? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. You vote for whoever you want to vote for, and I'll vote for whoever I want to vote for. That's how this works. I don't even care who you're voting for. It's none of my fucking business. But fuck you. Yeah. Don't ever fucking call me and tell me who to vote for. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of people feel in fear these days. You know, a lot of people feel in fear that if they don't vote for certain people, they're going to lose their jobs. Yeah. I mean, it's Hollywood, for example. Think about how fucking crazy that is. It sounds insane. It sounds yeah. just like. Well, it'll keep happening unless more people stand up for themselves yeah. and give them the fuck you response. Well, I'm going to tell my sponsors right now. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't like what I fucking have on, I'll tell you exactly what I'll do. I'll end my deals and I'll just sell direct to consumer for a lower price yep. because the people will support you, you know? That, well, listen, man, you, you can't, it's like this whole Bud Light deal. You know, people are talking shit now, sell out and all the shit <laughs> that the, the fuck is it. Believe me, I'm the furthest fucking thing from a sellout. Yeah. So there was that part of it. Um, and, and so again, I really like Dana White. I think he's a tremendous businessman. I love that he backs Trump the way that he does is shameless about it has him front row sitting next to him with Kid Rock. And, uh, it was Kid Rock, uh, Donald Trump. And, uh, who was the other guy that was with, um, it's going to be so silly if I don't remember it. Um, but it was <laughs> I can't, I can't believe I don't know who it was, but it was, uh, anyways, these guys are sitting cage side for the fights and every single fighter, every time they knock somebody out, they jump on the cage and point at Donald Trump because they love him. Right. And the UFC fans love Donald Trump. Right. It's, it's like, but again, like he said, it's not going to change until people push back until people in positions of, of, of influence push back against these sponsor deals and and Theo Vaughn's right why in the world it's it's definitely more lucrative for you as a podcaster right and this will this is this is my play down the road I don't like at this very moment I don't have any I, I don't put ads in here and I very well could and and I can make some money off of this and 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 you know make more than what I'm making off it right now but I would much rather give as much value to you guys as possible until I find either a very aligned brands that I believe in that I want to push, or I create my own products or, or start to drive traffic from, you know, in, in eyes onto my own businesses, which is far more lucrative because the only way that you get advertisers is if the advertisers know that the return on investment is higher than what the amount is that they're paying you for the sponsorship deal. And, and if that's the case and there's a, a positive ROI, why wouldn't you just take that positive ROI as the individual? Because it's much easier for me to tell you guys, hey, this is my product. This is what I create. I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this. This is my idea. I want you to show your support for it. Come support me. Go to my website and sign up right now. Then it is to say, hey, guys, here's this company that's paying me to say this thing. 
right? You guys are going to far more be likely to convert on a campaign or, or, um, uh, uh, you know, something that I, I talked to you about that's my own stuff than you would be to even for a sponsorship. But the only reason the sponsor is doing it is because the eyes and, and conversions on, on the campaign would be higher than what they spent out, what, what they gave you for the sponsorship. So he's right. If you have the time, the bandwidth, the ability to outsource some of the, 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 um, the work that goes into building that brand and then offer it through your podcast specifically, you're, you're, you're going to make more money than you would with investors anyways, because that's the only, or, or sponsors anyways, because that's the only reason they're sponsoring you is because the money that they give you is less than the money that they make back. So he's absolutely right. And that was brilliant to hear from Theo Vaughn because not too often you get like business insight from Theo, <laughs> but he's absolutely right. Um, all right, let's see what else we got here. I think we have maybe one more clip here and maybe not one more clip uh, maybe we just have this last article but let's see what we got um, here we go all right so the last thing that we're going to discuss here is going to be and, and this will just kind of be a fun one to end this on. So I, I, I really randomly came across, um, you guys have all heard the Interstellar song probably at this point, and I'll even play it for you guys in the background as we close this out. But I thought this was cool. And, and being a father myself, I, you know, I, I seem to, you know, I, I think it's cool when you, you find some wisdom that's dropped, or at least people who've put enough pride into that to try to display that through art and what it means to be a father, especially when the entire world is, you know, demasculating, uh, what it means to be a man and, and what it means to be a man is truly the, the, the epitome of a man as a father, as a protector, as a provider. Um, a man sitting at his home by himself can, cannot be, cannot reach his full potential when he's not responsible for other individuals that look to him for guidance, for protection, for providing a, a shelter and food and, and having those responsibilities and bearing that weight is what truly makes you a man. I, I, I always, this is my take on having children is that you, you can't, you until you're the father of children or the mother of children, you're always the children of your father or your mother. And that paradigm shift of going from like, and Jordan Peterson talks about this at length is like that transition from son to father is a truly important one. And, and he argues that it doesn't truly happen until your father actually passes away. And the reason that he says that is because until then you can always rely on your father. If you ever need that, that he can still be the overall provider protector, um, to you. And, you know, you know, and I, I love my father and he's always there for me and whenever I need it. So I, I get that 100%. But I also think that there, the, the biggest step is when you have small children and a wife looking to you for direction, looking to you for uh, providing shelter and food and, and protection and masculine love, right? Masculine love is far different from feminine love. And to, to th that's why you see uh, high crime rates in instances where the father leaves the house. That's why you see um, high or low outcomes for children whose parents are divorced because the father's usually out of the picture or or less in the picture than they would be otherwise, right? So, you know, to me, being a father is is being the epitome of a man, and and to take pride in that, right? And to take pride in providing, to take pride in in the traditional role of what it means to be. Uh, uh, the provider, to be the protector, to be the, you know, all of that. Um, 
And so here was a number that was written by Hans Zimmer. And this is a, I believe, it's, it's become quite the famous song since. Um, you, you probably heard it. Uh, but if you haven't, I'll play it in the background and I'll tell you the story about this because I, I find it to be pretty interesting. Um, and again, my computer wants to give me trouble today, which I haven't had trouble with in a while. But anyways, um, let's see. All right. So this song was written by Hans Zimmerman and it's uh, you, you see it a lot on social media today. It's a very very highly used uh, musical piece. And there's a lot of like viral videos that have gone of musicians playing this song in a, you know, a subway. And then somebody walks by and goes, hey, can I, uh, you know, can I play the, the violin next to you? Like there's been some really cool viral clips that have shown this. And then there's this, this song is just so beautiful. And so there's a story behind this song where Christopher Nolan, who obviously wrote, produced Interstellar, the movie, which is a phenomenal movie. Um, but the way that this song came about, and I actually have a little article here that I can pull up about it. Um, and how good is that music in the background as we'll discuss it? Uh, let's see if I have to... Yeah, I'll pull it up from my phone. So so the, the, the background behind this song is that Interstellar's theme by Christopher or by Hans Zimmerman. Christopher Nolan asked Hans to write him something based on a letter that he sent. And in the letter, the underlying idea behind what the Interstellar movie was, but he hadn't totally come up with the idea yet. And Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmerman have a long-standing history together in writing songs for the movies and doing the soundtracks. So when you talk about you know, The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan and Inception and... Um, some of those other things that they've done together. And so Christopher sent over that letter, and the letter was about what it meant to be a father. What the, the relationship feels like to, to be a father and to have children and to show them love and try to be the best version of yourself. And, and so you can, you can truly feel that within the emotion of this song. And he presented this, this song to Christopher Nolan the very next day. He had him come over to his house and showed him what he wrote and played it for him. And uh, Christopher Nolan, again, yet, yet to have a full picture, vivid idea of what he wanted to write. And from this song, decided, perfect, thank you. Now I need to go write this movie because I know exactly what to make for this movie now. Because he didn't have a vivid picture, all he had was a construct of the idea of what it meant to be a father and to love a child and to be in that position as the protector and the provider. And uh, so now I hope whenever you hear this song, you think of what it means to be a parent and to show that love and be that protector and be that provider. And that is what I will leave you guys with. So I just thought that was a cool story. And I hope you guys have a great week. And I do have an interview this week that I'm excited to share with you that is actually tomorrow night. I will be shooting and it probably will be out for a couple of days. Um, I'm very excited for this interview and very excited to continue to more interviews and experimenting with some different formats. So um, I hope you guys like it. I appreciate you. Leave a five-star review. Chase me down in the bar and harass me if you
until next time, have a great week. Adam's Archive.